0: Happy Mother's Day, everybody. I've been trying to tell everybody I've seen so far men, women, and children alike. I'm going to set this right here. Um, A few years ago, I actually uh, put together just a little note that I wanted to uh, just encourage uh, mothers. As just a time for us to think about Mother's Day and, and what this day means, uh, a lot of times what we can do is um, forget, we, we can celebrate a lot and remember a little when it comes to Mother's Day, and so uh, we want to do both, um, and so I just want to read this letter that we, we read to this church. Oh, I don't know, three or four years ago, I think it was, and I just remembered it, you know, and I went and pulled it back up, and I thought it was just appropriate to do that again today. Um, Just as an encouragement, as an exhortation to to mothers, uh, to those who gave birth to their first child um, this year, we celebrate with you, if that's you. Uh, To those who lost a child, uh, may have lost a child this year, we we want want to mourn with you. Um, To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day, and wear the badge that looks like food stains. We appreciate you. Um, we, we thank you. To those who um, experienced loss this year through uh, miscarriage or failed adoption or a child that might have run away, um, we grieve with you. And to those who, walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes and prods, tears and disappointment, we walk with you and forgive us whenever we say dumb things we we don't understand completely. And to foster moms, to mentor moms, to adoptive moms, to spiritual moms, we need you, absolutely need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache and distance from your children, we wait with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who were encouraged to have an abortion, we weep and we cry with you. To those who lived through driving tests and medical tests and the overall testing of motherhood, thank you. And to those who will have emptier nests this upcoming year, we both rejoice with you and grieve with you. And to those who are pregnant with new life, we anticipate, we wait with you. We have in our midst, perhaps the greatest warriors in our culture. A lot of you have heard just me just saying this this morning, that man, just I had four days of motherhood last week, uh, and I don't want any part of it. <laughs> uh, absolutely, I'm done with that. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out all the ways that I was exploited and taken advantage of. <laughs> don't know a lot of things but the greatest warriors in our culture. Women in whom God has placed the spirit of motherhood. And to all of you, we honor you. Many women feel like this is the one day where they're forced to either look at their own shortcomings that would result in guilt or the shortcomings of others who fail to appreciate them properly that would result in discontentment. It's the... One day that you're told over and over and over that your identity as a woman is not rooted in the death, the life, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's the one day where everybody will say your identity is found in your motherhood. But the gospel is not about your accomplishments. It's not about your accomplishments as a mother. It's your, about your position as a daughter of the king. That's where your identity is found, and you are honored and accepted. We honor you, and you are accepted today because of what you, what, not what you have or what you don't have as a, as a mother, but because of what God did to make you his own, all the things that he's done to come and rescue you. That's where your identity is found. His favor and his presence are better than a thousand beautiful children and a million bouquet of flowers and all the good compliments. And so we just want to honor you today. And I want to ask Trent, um, if you would, Trent, to come up and just maybe say a prayer over you guys and pray with you guys.
1: Let's pray. Father, you are holy and we are not. Father, you are faithful and we, we fall short so often. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your holiness that we are able to, to come to you and to worship you this morning. And God, in that, I want to thank you for, for all of the mothers in this room, Lord. Thank you for being gracious to us. Thank you for, for being, continuing to be faithful to us when we're not, Lord, and allowing, uh, allowing these mothers to, to be able to enjoy the enjoyment of children, Father. God, I, I thank you so much for, for the mothers in this room, Lord. I thank you for their, for their patience, for their, uh, God, ability to be warriors, like Blake said, for their joyful nature when, when things are not always going, going right, when things are tough. God, when, when they don't have much time during the week to do the things that they've, that they've done previously. God, thank you for the sacrifice that, uh, that they've made. Father, in order, to, in order to raise up their children. And, and Lord, I pray that, uh, that God, as we as they step forward in life, Lord, and, and as their children grow, Lord, that, that, they would, that they would continue to lead them toward you. And Father, their, their ultimate goal is to, to raise up children that would glorify and honor the name of Christ. Father, uh, I, I pray that those of us who are not parents would come alongside them, God. That we would encourage them and care for them, and Lord, I just thank you so much for for all of the mothers within this congregation, Lord. God, I pray that uh, that when we look at motherhood, that when we look at your perfect sacrifice, that we would be able, that they would be able to sacrifice because of your perfect sacrifice, God. And when we look at your graciousness, Mercy toward us, that we would be able to have mercy. Father. That, God, when we see the love that you have for us, the love that, we, that you have for for all of us who are in you, that Lord, we would be able to to share that love. That mothers would be able to share that love with their children, Lord. God, I thank you for thank you for those that are mothers, and I, I thank you for for those who are in the trenches right now and also those who are not able to uh, have children, Lord, or who are struggling with infertility right now. Lord, I, I pray that, that you would allow them to be, to be patient, Lord, and, and to, God, to, to continue to step in, in, the, in the path that you want them to walk, Lord, and to be faithful to whatever you call them to be. And Father, uh, we love you so much and we thank you because Without you and without the sacrifice of your son on the cross, Lord, and God, this would be possible. We would not be able to love in the capacity that we, uh, that we need to love, Father. So, God, I, I thank you for mothers this morning. I thank you for, for all that, that you've allowed them to be able to do. And, Lord, we pray that, uh, that we would be encouraged, Lord, and that we would be strengthened. God, I thank you. Thank you so much for, for all that you're doing within this church family. And
0: Lord, help
2: our mothers uh, to be able to glorify you
0: in every way possible. We love you. Please. Amen. Amen. You. Well, um, today's uh, message is going to be a lot like the, um, the last Super Bowl we had. If you check out in the third quarter, you're going to be highly disappointed I say disappointed, you're going to, mess, you're going to miss out on, on a very important component of today's message. So I need for you guys to stick with me um, through the fourth quarter on this one. Um, we, we land once again at some... Um, we landed a text that's, that's somewhat difficult to, to get our minds all the way around, um, and, and, and we're going to take a look at that. One of the things that, that we've uh, committed to as uh, pastors and, and shepherds over this church is to walk through Scripture. Even whenever we come to the unpopular parts or the parts that are hard to understand, uh, that, that I might not leave you with the, the best explanation and understanding of, of everything about God today, um, but we're going there anyway. We're going to do our best to try to understand what Scripture's saying and, and, and try to present that in a way that uh, ultimately would lead us to worship. Um, whenever I was... Uh, I wasn't a believer very long before a, a, a youth leader, a youth minister, saw um, that, I, that I was able to actually communicate with young people. And he said, I'd really like for you to come and, and help serve our youth. You know? So that was kind of the first time I ever put my toes in the water of youth ministry. And not long after that, I found myself teaching an eighth grade Sunday school class. And if, I rem- if, my, my, if my memory serves me correctly, some of you in this room were in that class. You were students in that class. Um, and a question came up. I couldn't tell you what text we were in, what Bible study we were talking about, or anything else. But the question came up through our study was, do you mean to tell me that God is in control and, in, and sovereign over all things and has all supremacy and all authority, so he knows already the destiny of people, all those that he's created? And I'm like, I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. You know, I, I, I was seasoned enough in ministry to say, I don't know. And I'll try to do my best to, to get some information for you. And I don't want you to lose hope. I'm still trying to get that information for you. Still working on it. I don't have a good answer yet, but I'm working on the information. And we land in a text that, that, that sounds and tastes a lot like that today. Uh, We landed there in John chapter 10. Uh, We've we've hit this place a few times already where Jesus would say that my sheep hear my voice. They know me and they come and they follow me. There's some that's not going to hear my voice. They're not my sheep. They don't belong to me. And so we have to reconcile our hearts to this uh, idea. Um, And I just want to set a disclaimer uh, to you as we get ready to dive in that lots of people, much smarter than I am, have landed at different places, different conclusions with what this text means today. Um, so I don't want to—I w- I don't want to claim that I, I have it all figured out, and I don't want to leave you with that impression that I do. I just want to present the text to you, and and we'll try to work through some of these things. But one thing that the text you will see that I think we'll all agree on, that everyone will agree on, is that it has profound implications on our lives personally, it's, it has implications for us. And we're not going to be left with a whole lot of options. And I think this is the whole point. This is what John's doing in this text. It's what Jesus is saying. that There's, there's not a whole lot of options out of here. You're either, you're either with me or you're not with me, you know? Um, and so today, you and I will be left with what I hope would be a very clear decision. Okay, where do I stand with this, uh, this Christ, this Son of God? Or is he even Christ the Son of God? Um, This week will be, this week and next week will be Jesus' final words in his public ministry. After next week, he's done. No more going into the temple, no more appearances there, no more volleying debate back and forth with religious rulers. He's done with all of that. No more miracles except for one grand miracle, that is the resurrection. But after next week, he's done. So he's, he's chalking up his final public ministry in these two weeks. And in the text will be in today. And over the last few weeks, the cross has become more and more and more in focus. Like we, he's headed toward the cross and you can see just the momentum kind of building where he's, he's headed that direction. And we began last week, David just, he kind of put that weight on us, right? You feel the weight and the trouble, right? And the agony that comes with knowing that we're seeing the cross more clearly. But we also see that, that there's like God's glory will be magnified at the cross and, and victory over sin will be won at the cross. And so it's becoming more and more clear. And after Jesus spoke very candidly, uh, about his pending death. He's saying, okay, guys, here's how it's going down. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to give my life there. These people, these crowds that had been listening to him become confused once again. And, and you'd see in verse 34, it says, so the crowds, we're in John chapter 12, verse 34. Um, so the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? They know that term, lift it up. They know what that means. It means he's going to the cross. He's going to be crucified. How can you say that knowing that the law says that the, the Messiah, the, the Christ, would remain forever? Who is this son of man? They end with that question. And now this is an expected response, right? If someone told you that I'm going to set up my authority forever, and, and before I do, I'm going to the cross to die, like that's a question we're going to come up with. Like, well, how's, how, do you, how does that work? How do you rule and reign over everything forever and you're going to the cross to die? We see in the law where the rule and reign of Israel's Messiah would be be established forever. They're they're recalling some Old Testament truths that he would be a priest forever. That of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. That he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And that the and that question, who is the Son of Man? They're not asking that question like, so who is the Son of Man? The question is better stated, so we hear from the law what Christ, what, what this Messiah, he's going to set up a kingdom forever. So what kind of Son of Man are you? That's how the question is set up. What, what kind of Savior, what kind of Messiah are you then, if you're not the one that we've been reading about? Verse 35, so Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Jesus says, guys, the conversation's over. Like the the conversations and the debates, they're over. Enough with this back and forth. Enough with all of this. I've been crystal clear about who I am and why I'm here all throughout my ministry. And you need to respond now. Like time is running out. You're walking in darkness, and you don't even know it. You don't even know it. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself. Did you know that Jesus hides himself from people? It's very, very important that you pay attention to that part of that text in verse 36, that he hid himself, because this is opening up the, where we're going this morning. This is where John's going to give us a commentary on what it means when Jesus hides himself. He doesn't, this is in the kind of hiding where he scurries around into the wilderness so no one can see him. He becomes, he, he, he doesn't disclose himself anymore. He's not revealing himself anymore. He hides himself. So go with me to John chapter 12, verse 34. We were, we're starting there, but I just want to read through the text, read through the story so we, can, so we can start. And We're going to start in verse 34 and read down to 43. It says, So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And so Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. And here's where our text, where we're going to spend a lot of our time, starting in verse 37. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for Isaiah said, "'He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, "'lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, "'and turn, and I would heal them.'" Isaiah said these things because he saw the glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even under the authorities believed in him, but for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. We're just going to pray one more time um, as we enter into this text. So would you pray with me? Father, we come to you again this morning. And God, I'm asking you specifically to give us clear minds, thoughtful hearts. And God, we want to see Christ in this text. We want to see the glory of who you are in this word. So, Father, even even in these hard-to-understand words that John would give us, would you reveal yourself to us? Would you not hide yourself from us? Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand what it is that you have for us in this text today? And ultimately, what you have for us in our lives. Glorify your name. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, verse 37 has got to be one of the most heartbreaking verses in Scripture. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Isn't that, isn't that a tragedy? So many signs. So many signs that when John's closing out this gospel, he would say, were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So many signs, so many miracles. The purpose of this book, right? There's so many signs, other signs, in the presence of the disciples which are not written in the book. So there are so many other signs that we don't get to read. That John's telling us, he's done so many miracles and so many signs and so many wonders that you, there's not enough paper in the world to record it all, but... The ones that we do see here, the ones that are written in this gospel for us, are done so that you and and I might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. So, not only did Jesus do many miracles, and so many that we can't even record them all, but that he did them right in front of their faces he said he did so many signs before them and they still did not believe in him heard seen and did not believe what a tragedy how in the world does this happen why in the world does this happen okay so some of you were nearly born believing in Jesus like from a from a young wee little age you knew Jesus you put your faith in him when you were very young. Your parents had prioritized discipleship in their home, and, and they began pointing you to Jesus as soon as you could understand. And Some of you, you might be like me, a little bit more stubborn. You don't get it early on. You don't receive it. You don't accept it. You heard the gospel, right? You heard it, but it took some time for you to see and believe Jesus, how could this possibly be a sacrifice for me too? How could you possibly be a Savior for me too? Like That was the question I was asking. 16 years ago, Easter Sunday, I'm sitting there listening to the gospel. For, uh, it was a weekly occurrence for me for over a year of listening to the gospel, listening to this guy preach the gospel. But the, that Sunday, I heard Jesus. I heard his voice. Remember John 10 would say, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I just want you to see how definitive that statement is made by Jesus. They hear my voice, and they will follow me. When they hear my voice, you can hear Blake's voice all day long, but you're not going to follow until you hear Jesus's voice. You'll know that you belong to him, that you're his sheep. Just before this, Jesus would make a very definitive statement that would lead into this one. He would say in verse 25, I told you And you do not believe. They're asking, so who's the Christ? on and on and on, he's talking about him being the son of God. And So they just randomly ask the question again, who's the Christ? And he says, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. You see, my sheep hear my voice, and they will follow me. And the reason you're not following me, and the reason you don't hear me, and the reason you're not going to believe me is because you're not my sheep. So we've already wrestled with this a little bit when we went through chapter 10. So whether you heard his voice in your early childhood or whether he spoke to you later in life, you are among his sheep. You hear his voice. You follow him. You belong to Jesus. And at the same time, none of us, whether you've been a Christian forever or you've just become a Christian, I'm talking to brothers and sisters right now, those who follow Jesus, none of us are perfect. None of us would hopefully not claim to be perfect by any stretch. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God even while we follow Jesus. Romans 8, Paul would say, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And being led by the Spirit of God means that we're going to be led to conviction when we elevate our affections and our de- desires toward created things rather than their creator. That, we'll, that we will see that the, the, the hostility toward God in that. That we're, we're choosing things that he's created over him and desiring and putting our affections on all of those things. And Paul would also say that, you know what? God's kindness leads us to repentance. His kindness leads Leads us to repentance. And there's been times where God was trying to be kind with me. And he was nudging me toward repentance kindly through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I said no. Like God, I got my sights set on doing this. And I, I'm, I'm fighting this conviction, but I'm going for it. right? And so there are times where God will gently restore us through the leading of his Holy Spirit. And then there's God's discipline. There's that, that where we say no to his His kindness, right? And then we receive the discipline of the Lord. And it's not an abusive discipline. This is a a gentle, fatherly discipline. God disciplines those whom he loves. Why do I say all of this? Where am I going with all of these things? Just thinking back to verse 37. Thinking back to what, what they said in verse 37. That he had done so many signs before them and they still did not believe in him. Did I believe in Jesus and they didn't because I'm better than they are? Did I believe in Jesus and they didn't because I might be more intelligent than they are? Did I believe in Jesus and they didn't because I'm less intelligent than they are? They think they're smarter and more philosophical and I'm just a old redneck who just lives in the Bible Belt and just sees things the way I was raised and that's how it is? Do do I believe in Jesus and they don't because I'm a good person? No. You, You guys know that. So why am I able to see Jesus for who he is and believe in him while others are unable to do so? Why? He'll answer in verse 38. He'll say, So that the reason you believe and they don't believe is so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. So we get the answer to the question now. The reason they don't believe is because there's a prophecy that will come to pass in their unbelief. That Isaiah made made a prophecy. What was the prophecy? Verse 38. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. John is recalling Isaiah 53:1, a very very familiar prophecy to many of us. And it is probably in my opinion the one of the greatest messianic prophecies of all of the Old Testament. It was a prophecy of a savior, of a Messiah who would come and take away the sin and the grief and the sadness in this world by being pierced for our transgressions and being crushed for our iniquities. That was the prophecy that he was talking about. And so John's recalling this prophecy to say that the Jews could not believe so that this Messiah that Isaiah prophesied about would come and die for our transgressions and our iniquities. That's why they don't believe, so that this prophecy could happen. Therefore, they could not believe, verse 39 says. They could not believe. For again, Isaiah said in verse 40, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart. Lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Is this landing on anybody a little weighty right now? Like, is this heavy for you? Because it, it has been for me all week. Just, you can ask my family. I must have talked to every one of them at least once this week. Like, oh my God, this is heavy. Like, this stuff is, it's, it's weighty. They were not believing in Jesus, so let's break this down. They were not believing in Jesus, even though they had seen his miracles firsthand, time and time again. They were not believing in Jesus so that a prophecy of this sacrificial Savior would be fulfilled. And it all happened. It all happened because God blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. God would not let them believe. That's what the text is saying. We've got to wrestle with this. God would not let them believe. Why would God not allow them to believe? Why would he blind their eyes, and why would he harden their hearts, and why would he not allow them to see the glories of Jesus and put their faith in him and follow him? We're going to be flipping between John and Romans, so if you want to go to Romans 11 and put your hand, save your spot in John, Paul would start in Romans 11. One of the most difficult texts in Scripture also, verse 25 He would say, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. So that's a key word for us today, mystery. Brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. Paul says, God hardened the hearts of the Jews so that Jesus would be killed. And he did that to make a way for you and me. God hardened the hearts and blinded the eyes of the Jews so that they would kill Jesus in order for you and I to be made right with God. And if you're like me, you're asking the question, man, why does God do it this way? Why does he he do it this way? Why does he have to harden the hearts of his people to save me? Why does he have to do that? If God, let me tell you something, if God would not have blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts they would have never killed Jesus. That's what John's trying to say. They, they, there wouldn't have been a sacrifice. But God had to do that. And it was always, from the very beginning, part of God's plan to sacrifice his son. From the very beginning. David even touched on that last week in Genesis. We saw the first gospel proclamation where God's he's addressing the sin of Adam and Eve. And he says, you know what? The serpent, I've got something coming for, for you. And it's going to be coming from the woman. And yeah, you might bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. So the gospel is already being preached there. So it was always part of his plan. And when we opened up the gospel of John, uh, m- many, many months ago, we immediately run into this guy, John the Baptist, this weirdo cat who's sitting out in the wilderness, and he's doing some crazy weird stuff and eating bugs, and it's just kind of odd. But he was a, I'm talking about a a prophet that we still talk about today. And he says this in verse 29. He says he saw Jesus coming toward him. Jesus is starting his ministry. He sees Jesus coming toward him and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was part of the plan. Jesus was the ultimate and final Passover Lamb. He's not just your buddy. He's not just your Sunday go-to guy. He is the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate Passover lamb, this Passover. You've been hearing us talk about this. Right now in our our text, we're headed toward Passover. That's why all of these crowds are here in Jerusalem right now, because they're fixed to have this memorial celebration, this memorial celebration that was prescribed to the Israelites in the Exodus. When they were being rescued from the, the tyranny of Egypt, they were being liberated. And in this moment in Exodus chapter 12, where each family was to take a household lamb, unblemished lamb, drag it to the door, and at dusk they were to kill that lamb in the doorway. And as that lamb bled out into the doorway, they were to take some hyssop, and they were to beat the blood with the hyssop, and they were to put it on the doorpost and all over the lintel. Cover their door in this lamb's blood. And then they were to stay in the house. And they were to roast this lamb whole. Don't skin it. Don't pull the guts out of it. Don't do anything. I want you to roast this lamb. And I want your family to eat it. Every single bite of it. And I want you to eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. I want you to be full of your sin. I want you to know just how distasteful it is and what it's going to take. And there's going to be a death angel that passes over. This is going to be the final judgment. For Pharaoh and the Egyptians who held you in slavery. This is the final judgment where the death angel is going to pass over every home in the house of Egypt. And every home that doesn't have blood around the doorpost and the lintel, I'm taking the firstborn out of that home. That firstborn is dead. And so they're to remember these things. And they're celebrating the remembrance of this pivotal moment in history and would be celebrated annually in Jerusalem is what's fixing to happen here for Jesus. And, and I'm telling you, he is the ultimate Passover lamb. And I hope you start connecting the dots that Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem for Passover to sacrifice himself. And John the Baptist would say, look over there. Look at that guy. Be amazed at that guy. Stand in awe of that guy. There is God's unblemished household lamb. Who's coming to this world to be sacrificed. Who takes away the sin of this world and has come not only to protect you from the death angel, but to wreak havoc on death itself. He's coming. And it was always part of God's plan. And as we'll see through the remainder of our time in the Gospel of John, God wasn't diverting from this plan, and Jesus surely wasn't diverting from this plan. It was happening. And if God would not have blinded their eyes, And if he would not have hardened their hearts, you would have never known the Lamb of God that takes away your sin. There would be no good news and there would be no atonement for your sin. Imagine the hopelessness and the dark reality of this. I want you to just think about this for a moment. This moment of hopelessness where there is no Savior, there is no way for you to get to God, there are no good works, no right prayers. No Bible, Scripture, memory, nothing gets you there. Imagine, let the hopelessness rest on you. Now, does it shake you to your core that God hardened the hearts so that His love could be extended to you, so that this could happen, so that this moment in history could take place? I I just want us to pull a a huge truth out of this today, and we need to embrace it, that God's going to do all Whatever it takes to accomplish his will, whatever it takes, even if it means cutting off his own people, and even if it means sending his son to the cross as a sacrifice, his will is going to be accomplished. How do you respond to that? How do you, what, what do you do? What do you say? What's our response? This is this part where I'm wrestling with all week, man. And, and let me just tell you where I've come to, and I, and I hope to encourage you to, to, to do the same, is to believe and rest in the sovereignty of God. Believe and rest. Be, be, have peace with that. Have peace with the sovereignty of God. This is the only way that I can deal with a text like this. It's the only way that I can get through it. Because my reaction to this verse, and probably a lot of yours, is, that's not fair. That's not fair. Right? That's, that's the reaction I had when, I, when I'm coming across stuff like this. And maybe I don't, wanna, I don't want to devalue anything here, and I don't want to hurt any feelings here, but I will say that I believe one reason I believe it's hard for me to accept this reality is the context in which I live the culture that I'm familiar with, the context that I'm, that I'm familiar with. See, I carry around this little bit of baggage, and I've got entitlement written on the side of it, right? I pack that with me, and many of us pack that with us. We're entitled. Long before I was ever taught a Bible verse, long before I was ever taught anything about my Creator, I was taught that I am endowed by this Creator with certain unalienable rights. I have rights. I'm entitled. Among some of these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Long before I even know who my creator is, they're telling me that's, that's what I'm entitled to. So you see the context And how that wars against us. As followers of Jesus, think about this. This is a huge issue. Because coming to Jesus calls for complete surrender of my rights. I don't have any rights anymore. I belong to you, Jesus. Paul would say in Romans 8, verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him and then he would also say to the church at Corinth do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God or you are not your own for you were bought with a price so glorify God in your body I'm not my own I've surrendered my rights I've given all of that to Jesus I'm not entitled to anything except what he calls me to do and that's where I'm, I'm going Jesus I want to be faithful to lay my yes down to whatever you ask of me. Coming to Jesus means that you hand over power and become a slave to Him. You've heard us use that term, a servant. It literally in the Bible means a bond servant, a, a slave. I, an example, we saw, uh, if you've gone through the Christmas story ever, in Luke chapter 1, you see this teenage girl who's got all these plans and, and she's favored by God and she knows God and she walks with God and she's favored in her community and she's, she's got a life ahead of her. And God comes and interrupts her story and says, guess what, I'm here to interrupt your life and I'm here to crush you socially. Like what's fixing to go down with you, it's gonna be. It's not gonna be good. You're not gonna be a popular person around here in a positive sense. But I'm gonna come and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, bear my son through your womb. That the Savior's coming through you, Mary. And her response was, "Well, you can't do that. That's not fair. I didn't have a call in that. I didn't get to call a shot in that. Was that her response? She said, "Behold, I am literally the slave." Of the Lord, I'm a servant. I'm a bondservant. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. There, and, and here's what Mary knew. And here's what we need to believe. That there is much more freedom and life as a slave to Jesus than, than can be found in any person, possession, founding document, branch of government. There's more freedom as a slave to Christ than in any of those other things. More liberty. Believe. And rest in the sovereignty of God. Rest in that. Let it be a a means to propel you to worship. We rest. We believe we rest in the sovereignty of God and let that lead us to worship. Back in Romans 11, Paul would say, but if some of the branches, talking about the Jews, the Jews are the branches, if some of the branches were broken off, that's our text, Right, some were blinded and hardened so that they would not believe, so that Christ would be sacrificed, so that God's love and grace and mercy would be extended to you and me as a Gentile. We're broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, that's us Gentiles in the room, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, which is God. He's the, he's the root. He's the tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. John would capture this in our passage. In verse 42, in chapter 12, verse 42, he says, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Many believe. Many believe. people, People believe, but for fear of their social circle their current context, the things that they might have to give up and surrender, their rights, it keeps them from God. It keeps them from God. Is this your current social status right now? Is this where you're at right now? Like, you know what? I want to be all in. I want to follow Jesus with everything. But it, I'm, I'm giving up a lot, man. Like, I, see, I already see a lot of friends that's going to walk out the door. I see this relationship getting set on fire. It's happening. And are you, are you allowing that? Say, I believe Jesus, but I, it, I, I'm not willing to give up what you're asking. I believe for many of us, this is reality. Like, this is, this is it. This is the thing. This is what Blake wrestled with, this thing right here. My social circle in a circle that glorifies God by any stretch of the imagination, and so if I'm going to lay my yes down to Jesus, if I'm giving him all my rights, then i lose that circle. But I want to tell you something. I've never traded down. Not once. For everything that I thought I was trading down on, it was a trade up. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it in for anything in the world. Nothing. And in Romans 11, again, Paul knows this about us, right? He knows this, and that's why he's exhorting us to fear the right person. Fear the right person. This is not like a fear, like not not a reverent or honorable fear. He's saying, no, be terrified. That's a terrifying fear. Be deathly afraid of the right person. And at the same time, it's not a fear like, um, like the unknown, like what's the room's dark and I'm, I'm afraid of what I'm going to hit. Like, I don't know. It's a fear of what is known. Like, be afraid of what you know. What you know to be true. I, one of my sons, I'm not going to say his name so I don't, <laughs> um, like, indict him here today. When he was growing up, we've had, we had plenty of opportunities uh, when he would come home from school. Um, every so often... His would his behavior would get just off plumb. Every so often, every so often, and so I would know um, most days when I would pick him up, I would know how the day went um, because if the day went good, which I think happened once in the second grade and once in the fourth grade, he would. I, Look what I got! I'm good. Like I did good today. Most of the days. Just get in the truck. David was telling this story, just like man, like my whole. I I already know, like, and so I'm going to sit here and ride this out for a little bit to see if he's going to offer up any information before I start prodding for any. Right. Well, how did they go? Right. So he's now he's in his room. Right. So here's the deal. He knows what's coming. That's what he's afraid of. Right. He's not afraid like man, what's, what's dad going to do to me because I did this today that I pulled that teacher's hair. Oh, what is he going to do to me? He's not, he's not questioning that. He knows what's happening, right? He knows about me. That's what he's afraid of. He knows what's fixing to happen. And that's, that's what Paul's trying to say here. You be, you be fearful. Don't be prideful. Don't think. You, you be terrified at the position you're in as a Gentile who's been grafted into the family of God through faith don't become prideful about that and that's what he's trying to communicate here believe and rest in the sovereignty of God and let this reality drive you to worship Paul ends this unbelievably if you haven't we covered some of Romans 11 but start in 1 and go to 11 and just see how difficult it is the, the whole tide changes come about verse uh, chapter 12 but this is a difficult passage and he ends it with worship he ends it In worship, look at verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. There's times that we will come up on a text that will either be hard to understand or to be hard to accept. And like those crowds in the beginning of this passage today, we're just like, wait a minute, I don't understand. Is it that we don't understand or that we don't accept it? Let this be a reminder that God isn't somebody for us to figure out completely, like wrap our minds all the way around and figure him out. If I can figure God out completely, he's not God. If I know every intricacy about God, he's not God. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He, he's not the Jesus that we see in the paintings with the good product in his hair. And the, the, the white uh, western looking guy. There's nothing about him that made him look beautiful and pretty, is what Isaiah is saying, that no one would even desire him. No beauty, no form, no majesty. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. While you have the light, believe in the light. That you may become sons of light. The conversation is over.
2: Public ministry wrapped up. Enough debate. I'm trying to figure out what the text is going to say and what Jesus is going to say, enough of that. It's party right? It's just it's just days away. The light is here and it's leaving. You need to respond now. It's what Jesus is saying to this crowd before he to us walk in the darkness and you don't even know it. This mysterious, these mysterious moments that we have with God, when we come across this, sometimes most of the time, I hope today, our response is worship. I don't understand everything. I don't completely get it. But I know you. I praise you. I worship you brethren Lord, we come to you this morning. God, let this text humble us. For those who would call themselves followers of Jesus, may this land on us with assurance. Let it increase our faith. Let it increase our belief in who you are and why you. But God, I especially pray for one who hasn't heard, hasn't seen, whose heart doesn't understand. I would pray today, Father, that, that we hear from You, that You would call them to Yourself, that they would follow You. Let them hear from You, Jesus, through the, the proclamation of Your Word, through the sacrifice, what you've given for us. And I pray that as we bump into mysteries about who you are, that it wouldn't drive us away from you, but it would drive us closer to you.
0: God, would, it, would you do whatever seems good to you in this moment. If that looks like repentance, if that looks like putting my faith in Jesus, if it looks like affirmation, God, would you, would you deal with every heart in this room today? God, if there's a blind person in the room, if there's a, a person who can't hear in the room. God, would you give them sight? Would you give them ears to hear and hearts to understand and accept and receive Christ? Surrender rights. Become a follower and bondservant to Jesus. This time is yours, and we ask that you Do whatever seems good to you. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.